Wire Bank Sucks listeners, this is James Baca, the host of the Wire Bank Sucks podcast, inviting you to join us on Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Wire Bank Sucks. For as little as $1 a month, you can help support the podcast, which helps us pay the bills, take care of our responsibilities, and allows yours truly, James Baca, the ability to work full-time battling big banks with this patented version of Vigilante Customer Service. The Wire Bank Sucks podcast not only discusses what is wrong with big banks, but it also lends a hand to clients in need who are being taken advantage of by bigger banks such as Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, among others. For $1 a month, you can show your support in the battle for better bank service. We also have bonus podcasts and content along with merchandise at the $2, $5, $15, and $35 levels. And you also have the ability to donate what you think we are worth. PayPal is also accepted, but I prefer to show strength in numbers by going to patreon.com slash wirebanksucks to support this podcast. We would love to have you as a patron and love that you're allowing James to work full-time kicking the butts of big banks. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Wire Bank Sucks podcast. My name is James Bach, and I'm here to tell you why your bank does in fact suck very much. Another great week here at Wire Bank Sucks Land. We did rescue another $200 for a customer who was being charged with ridiculous overdraft fees for something that was not her fault. We pushed and we pushed. We reached out to someone in Texas and we got her her money back. So we have had $44,000 rescued from Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and Chase in the last two months. I'm really proud of that and I thank you guys for trusting me with your finances. I thank you guys for trusting me with all the things that you're having me do for you. And believe you me, big banks, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, City, whoever. We're going to get our money back, and these customers are going to get their money back because they deserve it. It was something that is entitled to them because something that happened that was not their fault they're being punished for, whether it's Zal, whether it's overdraft fees, whether it's monthly fees, whether it's a nickel and diming, the likes of which you've never seen, these customers are going to get their money back if they entrusted me. James Bach, the host of the Wire Bank Sucks podcast, is committed to really working hard and making sure that every customer gets a fair shake. If I determine that there's a fee that should be refunded or there's something that should be reversed in favor of the customer, I am going to fight like hell for my customer. So um, if you ever need help with that, go to at bank screwed us or our voicemail line 575-322-4127 or james at wirebanksucks.com. Let me know what's going on with your bank. Let me know your problem. Let me know how much was lost as a result of a bank error or a bank misdeed. And we'll fight like hell for it. And I just wanted to say thank you so much to the person who allowed me to help her. And we got that money back. And I'm really proud of that. Working on a couple of Zelle things too, my friend. So hopefully we'll have some good news on that the next time I talk to you. Today's podcast is going to be split up into two segments here. Um, This one I'm recording really late at night because I wanted to make sure that I got this down and I wanted to make sure that this announcement, while it's still fresh in my brain, is going to be there in order to sound coherent and sound um, like I know what I'm talking about because a lot of the times I'm just kind of flying from the seat of my pants here. But something came up last week which kind of led me to kind of fight another battle with Bank of America especially. And it has something to do with something that they actually did for me eight years ago. And it's something that I still am. And it's something that I will tell you about right after this brief promotional consideration from our friends at Kasasa. Stick around. You won't want to miss this. The Wire Bank Sucks podcast is brought to you by our friends at Kasasa. So if you go to kasasa.com, that's K-A-S-A-S-A.com. 
You can learn more about Kasasa checking, which is free checking with awesome rewards. You can ask for Kasasa at more than 2,939 local bank and credit union branches nationwide. Earning cash rewards and ATM withdrawal fee refunds is super simple with them. If you're using your debit card, logging into online banking, using direct deposit, and signing up for e-statements, things you already do at your bank, you can actually earn rewards with Kasasa. You get truly personal service from people who care right down the street, free checking, no exceptions, no monthly maintenance fees, ever, ever, ever. Cash rewards every month, you can earn up to 34 times more than the average account with a bank. And an ATM on every corner, refunds on ATM withdrawal fees nationwide, that sounds like Kasasa checking to me, and that sounds like a great deal so go to kasasa.com that's k-a-s-a-s-a.com to discover a kasasa account near you i gotta tell you they're changing the way that you're doing banking my friends and i'm a believer now so go to kasasa today all right we are back you know one thing that i'm still working on is i'm not a great public speaker i used to be a horrible speaker into a microphone like i'm doing right now although i've gotten a lot better since i started the podcast i'm more coherent I do take notes. I make sure that I'm trying to sound like I know what I'm talking about, which I which I I know what I'm talking about. But a lot of the times people go um uh and you know I try to catch myself when when working on this podcast. One of the things you could tell about a horrible public speaker is how they go about introducing something. So let's just say that someone was giving a big speech in front of people about gambling. The worst way to start out a speech is give the old Webster's Defines. I'll give you an example. If you're talking about gambling, Webster's Defines gambling as to play a game in which you can win or lose money or possessions. It's a crutch. It's a very weak way to open up a speech. They'll tell you that in Speech 101. Hey, don't start out with a definition. You know, you can start out with a joke. You can start out with a good point. You can be yourself. That's the main thing about it. Well, today's topic is going to be something that I knew nothing about until I became one. So whenever you become a banker at Bank of America, well, you know, in 2012, whenever I started, one of the things that was kind of expected of you was you had to be a notary public. I didn't know what the hell a notary public was aside from the the cool little stamp that they had. The, The few times I ran into the phrase notary public were on TV and movies you know, I'm sure that I went with my mom and my grandparents to go get things notarized back in the 80s and 90s, but I really didn't know what it was. And as time went on and I became a banker and I became part of more important things, I started to really see the the reasoning for being a notary. So, the definition of a notary public is a public official appointed by a state government to help deter fraud. Notary publics, it should be notaries public, but whatever, witness the signing of important documents and verify the identity of the signers. Their willingness to sign the documents and their awareness of the contents of the document and the transaction. These can include estates, deeds, powers of attorney, affidavits, licenses, contracts, loan documents, and trusts. Administering oaths and affirmations, notaries public offer a legal service that impacts numerous institutions. Their responsibilities include taking affidavits and statutory declarations, taking acknowledgments of deeds and other conveyances, protesting notes and bills of exchange, and providing notice of foreign drafts. The term notary public only refers to common law notaries and should not be confused with civil law notaries, which are lawyers who have passed the bar exam. A common law notary who is not a lawyer is forbidden from providing legal advice. Okay, so if you didn't know what a notary public is in that long-winded definition, now you know. I learned that way too. It's basically being a witness. It's basically acknowledging 
the validity of someone's signature, that you documented IDs and said, hey, James Baca is who James Baca says he is. His signature is that. So I'm going to take this stamp. And what I'm saying with my notary stamp is James Baca proved to me that James Baca is here with two IDs and he's you know administering his signature to this power of attorney document. Everything looks good and checks out right. So stamp, you are who you said you were, James. And this is a document saying... I said I I can vouch for you basically. You know, not a lot of times do you have to use a notary in a lifetime. You know, there's times where I would help someone with a notary pretty much every week, and then there's someone you know that I'll help once, and they'll probably never need it again. So it was something that you know I I did often, but I didn't really do for regular customers. It was something a one-off. Hey, I need this notarized for a court. I need this notarized so I can get my driver's license back. I need a notary so I can um, send these documents over to buy a house. You know, these are things that are important. And, of course, when you look at the documents that someone notarizes, estates, power of attorney, um, loan documents, and trusts, all these things, mind you, all these things that, you know, notaries public can notarize are things that have to do with the bank. So, basically, what Bank of America did was they paid for my bonding to become a notary public, and I became a notary public um, of the state of New Mexico in 2012. It expired in 2016. I got it renewed. I'm still a notary public, and it's going to expire September of next year. And I'm contemplating um, paying the dime and continuing my notary service. That way I can do little side jobs or something. Um, just to pay the bills while I continue this podcast journey that I'm um, on, that I'm at. So it was something that whenever they gave that to me um, at Bank of America, I was actually really proud. I was like, hey, I'm an important you know, member of the community with all these things that are kind of afforded to me. You know, it, It's something that I wouldn't have been a notary public had it not been for Bank of America. So I kind of took that as a, as a little badge of honor. Like, wow, they think really highly of me. And they they say, hey, he needs to he needs to be this in order to fully function as a notary public. So you may wonder after a few minutes what this preamble is about. So you know, Bank of America is all about sales. It's 100% about sales service. They really don't want to do it in the branch. Um, that's why they started doing the appointment thing. They'll ask you if you had an appointment. It's like going to the doctor's office saying, hey, I need to see the doctor. Do you have an appointment? Well, no, no, I don't. We'll take a number. We'll get to you whenever we have a chance. And you'll be there for four hours. So when banks started doing the appointment thing, um, a lot of things changed at Bank of America. So right around 2017 or so was when appointments started to hit big at Bank of America. And I started to notice a change in the way that bank Bank of America treated its regular customers whenever they came in for something that was considered you know, service or maintenance. When it's not a sale, it's not a priority. So, you know, anytime that you kind of triage people and say, hey, they're not they're not important, you're making a really big decision there. You're making a really, really big uh, judgment call on someone's day because they wanted to see you. They know James is a notary public because he has his freaking certificate up in his office. So, in the back of their head, they're saying, hey, that James guy is a notary public. We'll go to the bank because he's so cool. He's so nice. Well, at least that's what I, you know, thought people thought of me. You know, we'll, we'll have him notarize our stuff. Only to be told by a manager or someone not in charge that James is going to be busy the rest of the afternoon. When I wasn't, I was just waiting for sales and I couldn't help them with something. 
It used to break my heart because I used to see people looking at me and they used to be so upset that, hey, nope, James can't be bothered. He has to wait for someone when in reality all it took was a freaking stamp. And I'm a speed reader. I could read fast. I can get their document done in no time. So another definition of notary public is an official of integrity appointed by a state government. Well, I don't know if I'm an official of integrity. Um, it's funny because when you do the notary public application, you have to have two people as references who can vouch for your good integrity, and the two people who notarized my, um, who notarized who who witnessed my notary application. Um, in 2012, or two people who probably know the worst things about me, and in 2016, ditto. So it's funny that, you know, that's one of the definitions on there. But I took that stuff seriously. They gave me the, the notary stamp with a little, you know, lock and key, and I put that on my keychain. I had a little, you know, metal box that I keep all my notary stuff in. I had a notary log, and I kept that, even though Bank of America said, hey, you don't have to keep a log, we'll create a system for you. I wanted to make sure that I was following the rules of the state of New Mexico because when I'm a notary public, I'm an agent for the state of New Mexico. I'm not an agent of Bank of America. I can be, you know, in hot pants and the, you know, at a stoplight and someone could ask me, hey, did you have your notary stamp with you? And yes, you know what? Even though I look like a hooker on the corner, guess what? I'm a notary public still and I'll stamp your document. Sounds horrible, but that's the analogy right there. I'm a notary public first and then a banker second whenever I have that stamp out. It's something that meant a lot to me. I was really proud to be one. And, you know, the, the the only ones that I knew that were notaries were people who were in important jobs. And I felt like I had an important job there. So it's something that I didn't really pay mind to. Even when I lost my job, you know, the only thing that I had in my office, because they were, quote, remodeling my office. In reality, they were just waiting to get rid of me. The only thing that I had in my office was my notary license and, you know, my notary stamp. They, they gave me an ink stamp. They didn't even give me one of those cool things that embosses papers because they said, oh, you don't need those embossing notary stamps because, um, you know, you'll have to send, you know, faxes with Bank of America. You'll have to make copies and those things don't show up on the copy. What a nice way to, to rip me off out of the one thing I thought was cool about being a notary, right? So I had to get one of these crappy ink stamps that you would probably get from Vistaprint. You know, it's ridiculously cheap and it gets stuck and it becomes a mess sometimes whenever you're stamping a document. Anyway, I can go on and on. But it never really mattered to me after I left Bank of America until I started doing my little Twitter, you know, customer service thing for Bank of America, my vigilante customer service, if you will. And in the last couple of months, I've received 13 complaints from Bank of America customers who are complaining that they were refused notary service by the notary public and by a manager at their bank and asked to leave, essentially. And it's frustrating for me because all the people I talked to, it, it had someone elderly. Whether it was the elderly person themselves on Twitter or whether it was their kids or grandkids saying, hey, my 90-year-old grandmother's in a wheelchair and she can't get a document notarized by her bank of 50 years because they didn't have an appointment for her this is ridiculous and i'm closing this account out and my grandma wants to leave this bank after all the years and all the effort that she's you know given this bank pisses me off i get so upset by that because literally a, a notary a notarizing document if if the customer is prepared should take you know five to ten minutes tops if it's literally a two-page thing yes you know as you're as a notary public you got to read it you got to make sure you say the 
the affirmations correct that way they can say yes to them and then you stamp it and then you log it in your book but bank of america started getting away from that and like i said there was a point many years ago where being a notary public was an important thing as a banker because hell you know what i've closed over a hundred loans with bank of america in the time that i was there i didn't know anything about home loans and all of a sudden i became one of the pivotal people in helping the customers close on a home loan so i had my notary stamp i had my notary documents and i walk people through what is a scary thing it's 150 pages of just crap that you don't know what the hell you're signing and i would walk them through it and make the customers feel comfortable and i would you know stamp their you know documents whenever they would sign them it was something i was really proud of but seeing all these complaints by bank of america about how they're being refused it really leads me to a question and it's something that i mean i'm just going to ask out loud here Shouldn't Bank of America just get rid of notary service altogether instead of blowing off their customers? I don't know how I can answer that question. Because if they say the notary service is part of it, but you have to have an appointment, it kind of defeats the whole purpose of offering that service because you're really dissuading people from bugging you now anytime you do that. So, so get with me on this here. So basically... The reason why they ask for an appointment, um, you know, Bank of America does, anytime you want something notarized, the simple reason is they want to see when they can send people to lunch. Not a horrible thing, not a horrible thing, but this is, this is, this is the big one here. Those appointments mean nothing. So whenever you have an appointment at 1 p.m. to do a notary service with Bank of America, and let's just say that there's sales out there. Let's just say that there's two people waiting in the lobby. They didn't have an appointment, but they're new checking accounts. This is a scenario that's happening in Bank of America's nationwide. What you're going to do is you're going to bring that customer in for the 1 o'clock appointment for the notary. And bankers are doing this left and right because I know this from Twitter. They will say that they, quote, found something wrong with the document, that it doesn't have the proper language for them to notarize. And then they decline the transaction. They decline the notary service. It is insane, guys. And and the only reason that I bring it up is because I am guilty of this. I am going to admit right now that I found ways to blow off um, so many people over the years. Not maliciously, not from me. I was told to by my management. I was told to by senior management at Bank of America to say, hey, you know what? Notaries aren't important. So find something wrong. Find something wrong with the document or say that there's something missing and then they had to go back and redo it in order for you to notarize it. If you're kind of painted in the corner, if you will. It's horrible and I'm sorry that that happened while I was there in my watch. I don't know what else to say other than I apologize you know, to the people who I was told to blow off. So here's, here's, the, here's the, the ruse. This is what Bank of America told me to do. So... And this is something that I did on top of what they told me to do. I I saved a photo of a notarial block. Basically, you know, where the notary fills in. On this, the 20th day of June 2019, I, James Baca, a notary public for the state of New Mexico, you know, acknowledge the signature of whoever the person's name is. And then you sign it and then you stamp it. I would always bring up this little image of a notarial block. And I say, do you see this on here? There's a couple of words on this block that don't show up on this document here. And to make sure that I'm doing the notary correctly, I would totally throw it on the customer. 
to make sure I'm doing the notary um, service correctly, it has to have that language on there. Otherwise, I'm unable to do it. I said, I know it's a crazy rule. These notary things, it's a hard time for me to understand myself. But all I can say is I'm, un I'm, un I'm not allowed to do it with the language being as it is. If you could find a way to provide me that additional language, I'll be happy to do your notary service for you. You'd see the look on people's faces and they'd be so disappointed. They'd be so bummed out. They'd be like, what the hell are we going to do if this document doesn't have the proper language? If this document is not correct according to the notary public? I was told to lie, guys. That doesn't make me a person of integrity, okay? That makes me a horrible person because I listened to my bosses to do something very unethical at Bank of America. And the simple fact that Bank of America is doing this with thousands of notaries public and thousands of banking centers nationwide, giving them an excuse to blow off a simple service that is allegedly free to customers and is free to non-customers as well, according to Bank of America. It's disgusting and it's a shame and it needs to go away. So, basically, you're you're saying as a person of integrity that you're not allowed to do that document. You're putting your integrity on the line anytime you're you're lying for your bank. So many of these people said that they couldn't be helped because this document didn't look right, it didn't feel right, and the notary just refused to stamp it. And they're getting a high five from their managers at Bank of America, but what about the state that they're in? If only the states knew and cared about what was going on with notary services within Bank of America, there would be a huge scandal. And honestly, the reason why I'm coming out with this now is because I fully intend on notifying the associations that handle notary services in this country. There's about three or four of them. I'm going to email them. I'm going to tell them my story. I'm going to link them to this podcast. and I'm going to tell them again. This is what I was told to do with Bank of America. This is what they're currently doing now. Here's some links for some people making comments about the services for notary at Bank of America and how they were lied to saying that they weren't able to do notarization on this document because of, you know, false language in the document. And then they went across the street to their other bank or they went to their insurance company and that person notarized it for them in two seconds. That's happening, guys. That's happening. The customers who pay a fee or put their money in a bank who are doing what the banks want them to do, want them to have business there, they're getting denied a valuable free service. That's not even a Bank of America service. It's a service that is brought to you by the state that you're in whenever you're a notary public. It is, it is scary. And like I said, the reason why I'm talking about this now is because I've seen an influx of people being refused notary service. He either said that the notary wasn't there, which is a lie. If you're a manager, you're a notary. If you're a banker, chances are you're probably a notary too. Or that you have to set up an appointment. God forbid that you get a document that you just want to get notarized on your afternoon off. All of a sudden you have to freaking think, hey, I wonder if this is something that i got to plug into the appointment machine. I've seen people be turned away for notary services without an appointment with no one in the bank. That has literally happened 15 to 20 times in the last couple of months, um, according to the complaints that I field from people on social media. It's crazy to me. But the biggest thing is the lying, basically saying that, hey, this doesn't look right, so I'm not going to do it. Yes, you know what? As a banker, you're allowed to make that judgment call saying, I don't feel comfortable in this, so I don't want to do it. And your bosses, for the most part, are going to say, well, I'm glad you're honest, James. I'm glad that you felt that way because I'd rather you decline something than do something that's probably unethical or might lose your job. 
Hell, I lost my job, according to Bank of America, for doing something unethical. But I did so many more unethical things for them. It's ridiculous, okay? So this notary thing, um, you know, as something that I wasn't familiar with until I became one, I see what an important thing it is. You know, there's people who need documents notarized. There's people who don't even know the process. They just know that they need someone with a stamp and someone who's going to ask them for their ID. It's a simple thing. And you know what? If some random non-customer came in and they wanted a notary service, I'm, I'm going to do it for them on behalf of the state of New Mexico. And you know what? If I'm nice enough, maybe that person may open an account down the road. Bank of America is so short-sighted. They don't understand that these people are potential customers or these people are potential revenue generators if they're existing customers the short-sighted aspect of the fact that bank of america just decides that sales are number one and anyone who has something like a notary or someone who wants to change their phone number on their account or their address is not worth the time that you really want to push them to the appointment thing on the on mobile banking in order for them to come back a second time how with that i don't care if gas is a dollar fifty a gallon i'm not wasting my gas coming back i gotta get this done now or i'm not gonna get it done at all but this is happening, guys. So my full intention with me talking about this notary service stuff is I want to put it out there that if you're listening to this and you um, ask your bank, just ask your bank a general question. Hey, do you provide notary service? If it's not Bank of America, ask them. Say, do you provide notary service? Yes, okay. So I can walk in and have a document notarized? Look at their face. Look at their face whenever you ask that question, if you're face-to-face, and you'll see the kind of trepidation in their face, like, uh, well, give us a call, and we'll be glad to do that for you. Like, they want you to not come in, because it's something that detracts from sales. It's something that, that actually gives them more work because of short staffs, meaning that if there's people waiting for notaries, it makes the bank look a lot fuller, and the goal is to kind of make it look not busy. That way you can kind of you know, forcibly pull in those cells anytime someone is waiting at the teller line. So there's all these things going on with it. It's ridiculous. None of it has to do with actually being a notary public. Now, there's there's one type of document the Bank of America doesn't notarize, and that's wills, and I understand that. And basically, the reason why they don't notarize wills is because, you know, there's stuff that's being bequeathed to someone, and at that point in time, if it's money, then that money should go to so-and-so. And then if you can convince them to open up an account, it's this whole conflict of interesting that I understand. So I'm never going to complain about that. I decline people from doing that. I would show them my, my rules book with Bank of America and I say, I, I would glad, I'd be glad to do it for you outside of the bank, but I'm not allowed to do it while I'm working on the bank's time. And this is why. And they would understand. They would appreciate me giving the effort to, to kind of explain to them what was going on. But... If it's not a will, then Bank of America should notarize it. All you're doing is affirming that that person exists, you're documenting IDs, and you're stamping the document. That's all you got to do. Bank of America has gotten away from the most basic of service transactions, and it's got to stop. So basically, my goal is to let all of the notary associations out there know, and I'd be glad to speak on behalf of them, because I want to be a notary public for years and years to come. And I want to do it the right way, the ethical way, the way that Bank of America told me that I can't do. I have to I have to turn people away. I have to say that you have to have an appointment. You know, I take this stuff seriously. Whenever I was a banker, I took it seriously. When I'm a notary public, I took it seriously too. I have to be able to, to show that I am a person of integrity if I want to be a notary public. 
And the fact that Bank of America made me lie to customers, and I'm willingly admitting it right now, I turned away so many notary customers um, because of sales opportunities in the last year that I was there. And according to what I see on social media, more so the, the year that I've been gone, it's ridiculous and it's gross. Um, not to generalize people with notaries, but most people who need a document notarized, as I mentioned, trusts and you know powers of attorney and stuff like that, it's old people. It's people who can't walk really well. People who have a hard time getting out of their car, much less walking into the bank, much less sitting on a couch for an hour while you're wrapping up with the customer. It's It's just horrible. So those people are being treated like crap. Then they're getting that service done somewhere else. You know, it's not a risk thing. Who cares? But someone else is doing the notary service for them. I'm glad they're getting it done. But Bank of America is just basically saying, no, we're not going to do it because um, it's not a sale. Is basically what they say in their little inner circle there. And it's gross. And it's got to stop. So, of course, Zelle is one of the things that I plan on helping get rid of. And I'm working really hard. I've rescued $44,000 in the last two months. A lot of it's Zelle related. I am going to work hard as hell to make sure that that's gone. And then the second part of my little master plan here is to let the notaries, uh, you know, notaries public, notary associations of this country know what is going on with Bank of America and how they're refusing to do a simple service that is kind of mandated that they do by the state, the fact that they have this license, because they're bypassing customers in lieu of trying to find sales, in, in, in lieu of trying to beef up their sales quota for the for the quarter it's something that's got to stop guys as i mentioned being a notary public was a really important thing for me I still have my notary license in my guest room I take that stuff seriously and i really want to be a notary public again but i'm going to do it under my terms the fact that bank of america is kind of picking on people because hey you're not going to buy anything well we don't want you in here anyway that just sucks. It's why your bank sucks. And I all I got to say is the chickens will come home to roost eventually, Bank of America. Because what's frustrating about it is it's a simple thing. It's literally a stamp. I maybe need 10 pounds of pressure to push the stamp down to get the ink on paper. It's not the hardest thing in the world. In fact, I became good at it. I became good and, you know trying to know what to look for whenever something was wrong with the document for instance like legit wrong with the document so i felt comfortable doing it and i'll be glad to do it again and again but the fact that you're turning people away from something that's so simple whenever they're you know you're their bank they trust you they already trust you with their money and they're trusting you with their personal life you know it's like trying to get their revoked driver's license renewed again or something like that you're, you're looking into their world and seeing the problems that they have to deal with. And you're saying, nope, sorry, can't do it. You need to have an appointment. Or I'm not allowed to do this because it's not, it doesn't say the word the. See, the word the is not on here. It has to have the word the before that word. I've literally lied like that in front of, you know, in front of customers at Bank of America. And it's got to stop, guys. So I go on for 26 minutes talking about being a notary public. And the reason why I'm saying it is, guys, check with your bank, whether it's Bank of America, Wells, Chase, or City. See if they offer notary services and look in the manager or the banker's face. And say, hey, can you notarize this for me tomorrow? And you watch them cringe. Watch them go, oh, they're going to get mad at me if I say yes to this. It's ridiculous and it's got to stop. And um, putting it out there, Bank of America. So I hope you're listening. I am coming... Um, 
full force of this because I really take offense as a officer of the state of New Mexico that you made me lie for Bank of America for sales. And all I can say is it's the chickens will come to home, come home to roost, my friends. They will. After this brief promotional consideration, we're going to come back with a couple of emails that I got in the last few days about interesting topics. So please, please stick around. All right, and we are back. So I have a couple of emails this week. Um, James at WireBankSucks.com is the best place to email me if you have any questions, comments about the podcast, or anything you'd like to share. We've got our voicemail line, 575-322-4127. But I wanted to answer a couple of emails today because they were questions that I do get a lot of. Um, I probably get 20 to 30 emails a week, and not to mention the questions that I answer um, at BankScrewedUs on Twitter. So I always like to you know do these rapid fire and kind of address them as i see fit i mean if it's something that's worth the discussion i will put you on the podcast so thank you so much for submitting your questions we have derek from san diego he sent me an email saying james why the bleep do banks not answer their phones i've tried to call several branches in my area and no one answers their phone what the hell who can i get in touch with about something very simple it's a very simple answer to your question my friends so Basically, the reason why the branches don't answer their phones is, um, and I hate even saying this, but it's a privacy issue, and it's so stupid, okay? So, you know, Bank of America can call you and say, hey, you have, you know, issues with your debit card. We have potential fraud. Is your name James Baca? Is your social security number end in 1234? Is your date of birth in 1983? Yes. They know everything about you when they call you, but when you call them, they have no way of identifying you, or so they say. So they don't allow people, whether it's tellers or whether it's bankers, and even managers for that matter, to make the judgment call and say, hey, I know this guy, he comes into the bank all the time, and I'm going to be able to help him over the phone. It doesn't work that way. So basically, whenever you call and say, hey, I'd like to check my balance on my account, about two years ago, Bank of America gave us this script, and they love their scripts more than movie stars do. And they say, unfortunately... Because I can't identify you over the phone, I'm unable to provide you that information over the phone. You, however, can log into bankofamerica.com or the Bank of America mobile app for that information. It is the lamest scripting in history. Someone just wanted to know their balance. And you know what you do? You type in an account number and you say $1,000. Well, if that person's committing fraud, you're not really doing anything that they weren't already going to do anyway. So if that person was going to write a hot check and they had stolen checks... The balance itself doesn't really tell anything because it's not like the check's going to bounce right when they're making a purchase. No, if they're stealing something, they're going to steal it no matter what. So the only thing it prevents is bankers having to discuss any business with customers over the phone. Because you know what? You can't open accounts over the phone. You can't offer products over the phone if you're working at a branch. You're not... You're not um, tagged for sales. You're only tagged for doing service calls. And that's it. So there's no benefit in the bank answering your call because there's nothing that they can benefit for anyway unless you can get an appointment out of it and you know you say, well, Mr. Baca, we'd love to have you in the banking center. We can discuss this um, tomorrow at 3 if you're available. And then, then you get them in then you get a sale. But those things don't work. So whenever they call you, you're saying, no, I can't help you. But if you come in, I mean, what, what person is going to do that that's busy and, and, and doesn't have time? It's 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 amazing how banks have just kind of gotten off of that. I'll tell you a really quick funny story. Um, when I first moved down here to Las Cruces to work at the branch that I worked at for 10 years, I was sick. I mean, I had the flu. 
And um, I've noted that the last seven years that I worked at Bank of America, I never missed a day due to illness, mainly because I was scared crapless to get fired because I wasn't going to hit my sales goals. But when I was a teller, and to be frank with you, I didn't really care about the bank sales goals because I wasn't a sales associate. I was really sick. I mean, I had the flu and I and I needed to call in. This was a couple of months into my tenure there at the bank. So I didn't I had everyone's phone number cuz you were supposed to have them, but at the same time it was it was something I was unfamiliar with and I I was afraid to talk to my boss and say, "Hey, I'm not coming in." I used to hate calling in. It's embarrassing for me. So, I didn't have my boss's direct number. So, I was like Damn, I don't know what the the bank's number is. So I, I went on Google and I just typed in Bank of America Amador. Then it had the number. It's five seven five five two seven three one four seven. It's not operational anymore. So go ahead and give it a call. It's gonna it's gonna say this number cannot be connected. I called that number, and basically what it was was a you know an automated thing saying you know welcome to Bank of America. To hear the hours of this location, press one, and then you know it goes on and on, and then it would say. To speak with a representative inside the branch, press 4. So I hit 4. Now, mind you, this is about 8.15 in the morning, and I'm due to be there um, at 9. And the bank isn't open until 9. So I'm calling this number. I hit 4 to speak with a live associate. And then it would ring and ring and ring. And then the automated system would pick up saying, Unfortunately, this banking center is currently closed. Please call back another time. Goodbye. And it would hang up on you. And that would piss me off. Okay, so the people, the actual customers... Who call in and they go okay well it's closed I'll call back later and and even then it's kind of crappy but you understand but for someone like me who didn't have any direct lines and I was sick I was like I, I could barely talk I could barely breathe I just remember calling and then getting hung up I'm like damn what the hell am I gonna do and the numbers that I knew off the top of my head or in my phone for the people that I worked with kind of more closely in that branch they weren't there either to relay you know hey manager call me it wasn't happening, so basically, I had to drive. I had to get out, get dressed in my suit, and I had to show my face in the branch and say, "Look, I got the flu. I'm sick. I can barely stand. I'm weak. I can. I, I'm just not feeling it, so I'm gonna miss work." And then the boss gives you an up and down and goes, "Okay, like they don't believe you." I mean, I'm literally about to puke on your on your carpet here, and um, they said, "Okay, I go home." And I just remember being so angry at that because I'm like. You don't even want to talk to me. I was like, why even have phones in the branch? I would come back from a week-long vacation up until even last year, and I'd have 153 missed calls and have 30 voicemails. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't answer a lot of them. So a lot of them were time-sensitive, and it'd be like, you know, because people found out my direct number. They'd be like, hey, James, I really need you to do this for me, or I really want to set up an appointment with you. And although I had an out-of-office reply, I mean, it was something that they would call, and they would know that I'm not there. And they'd be pissed and they'd be like, oh, I'm just going to close my account out because I can't get in touch with James. Well, even if I was sitting there, I couldn't discuss personal matters with you. Although I would probably bend the rules a little bit for people I really knew because I wanted to be able to help them as best as I could. But the average person who kind of knew me, who I wasn't too comfortable with, I would have to say that scripting saying, unfortunately, I can't give you that information over the phone. Um, you can schedule an appointment with me and we could talk about it in the branch. It was lame and it was stupid. So once again, answer your question. Banks are t they're they're not say they're not told don't answer the phones ever. I mean, because if someone's calling in a bomb threat, I mean, <laughs> and we've had a bomb threat. I gotta tell that story sometime in the podcast. Um, if someone's calling in a bomb threat, I mean, you wanna you wanna pick up the phone and go, oh, there's a bomb. Hey, there's a bomb, everyone, let's get out of here. Yeah, well, of course you wanna you wanna hear those type of things. 
But for the most part, you know, it's going to be someone rambling on because everyone's business is the most important thing in the world to them. So whenever you're kind of blowing them off, it's offensive to them saying, hey, you know, this may not be important to you, but it's the most important thing I got going on. So banks don't say, hey, don't answer the phone ever. They say, no, refer people to the appointment screen on the app. That way they can, you know, dial in an appointment whenever they want because that helps our appointment numbers. Yes, we had goals for number of appointments per week. It was 30. And I had like 32, like, windows for appointments. So I basically had to be busy 95% of the time according to this stupid app. Whatever. Doesn't make any sense. So you'd have to refer it to them. And, and they would basically say, well, just let them know that the 1-800 number can answer those questions. Yeah, the 1-800 number can answer those questions after about an hour and 30-minute wait, which seems to be the average nowadays. So everything was about, hey, don't bother us, we're busy. I remember my mom working at a restaurant, and I would be 14, 15 years old, and I would call the restaurant because, I mean, she was my mom, and I needed money or I needed help or I needed a ride or whatever. So I'd call my mom at the restaurant. And um, she was the general manager. And, and funny enough, my aunt and uncle on my dad's side are, were the owners. And, you know, they, they know that I'm a nephew. They know that I'm a you know nice guy, a nice kid and all that. But whenever I would call at 14, 15 years old and say, hey, I need to speak to my mom. This is James. They'd be so rude. They'd be like, oh, she's busy. And they'd hang up on me. And, and I had this fear of talking to people over the phone for so many years. Because even my own freaking, you know flesh and blood my uncle and my aunt would hang up on me over the phone saying that she can't talk right now she's busy and i'm like you know what the hell i just want to say to my mom hey i'm going to be at my friend's house i'll see you tonight and, and that's the way that i feel that the bank the bank treats their customers like don't bug me i'm busy so you have to walk in there and there were times where i wasn't busy but they're like why the hell didn't you answer the phone i'm not allowed to answer the phone try explaining that to a customer yeah i can't answer the phone because they told me that i can't it's the stupidest thing in the world. So, you know, if you see a number in the yellow pages for Bank of America and it has a branch location, if it looks like a local number, much like robocalls, the local number is not a local number. It's it's an extension of the 1-800 number. So you call it, it's going to feed you into something automated and you're going to be stuck and you're going to be SOL. If you really want direct numbers with a bank, most bankers, most relationship managers, most branch managers will have their direct number and they'll also have their email address on the card. So if you call their direct number and they're not answering you, then you can email them and say, hey, what the hell, I've been trying to call you about this and that. And, you know, to be honest with you, those people will look at your profile and they'll say, hey, is this person worth calling? And you know what, if they feel like they have a sale on you or something, they're probably going to call. I know it sounds lame, but if they feel that you're worthy enough for a call, they'll give you a call, but at least you have direct numbers. And if that person is blowing you off on the phone, because I got in trouble for this myself because I didn't blow people off. I was just so overwhelmed as the only banker in a town that had basically 6,000 customers for one banker that I couldn't answer them all. Then you, you could email and then you can say, hey, I want to speak to your boss. And guess what? That's how you get that person in trouble. And that's how you kind of shed light on what is a deep, dark secret at Bank of America, which is, you know what? They're avoiding your phone calls because they can't do much for you over the phone. They can sell the hell out of you in person, but over the phone, yeah, they just they don't really want to do that. We've become a society of people who want to text and email and instant message anyway. So the phone is kind of an outdated thing, but I totally understand. So once again, thank you so much for that email i really really appreciate it all right and one last email it's from the initials td buck b-u-c-k and they just asked me straight up what is the worst department in bank of america well it's you know it's it's hard to just say who's 
the number one worst because different strokes, different folks. You know, there might be someone who's in college who may never deal with how crappy the home loan department is. There may be someone in New York City who never has to deal with, you know, how crappy the auto loan department is because they take public transit everywhere. So we'll just say there's a Mount Rushmore of really crappy departments within Bank of America. Number one by far is mortgage because it's not necessarily what they do is unethical i mean it is unethical don't get me wrong but i think the thing that's the most frustrating thing about me is they make judgments about you as a customer based on how much your house is worth um today is the three-year anniversary of my wife and i you know getting our house after nearly three full months of dealing with bank of america's crap pulling credit multiple times making us cry making us stressed out sleeping on the floor of our empty apartment because they couldn't hit the closing date on time so whenever you're trying to buy a house the mortgage department is the worst because what they do is they make judgments based on the amount of your house and if they got something else going on if they you know it's like saying hey well i'm dating a sports illustrated model but i got a playboy playmate that wants to date me too which one am i going to choose if they have a quote embarrassment of riches meaning they have two people to choose from who they want to help they're going to say well which one's better better off for me and then you know when it comes to your house valued at 129,000 like our house was and then someone else's house in California that's the same size that's valued at five times more then son of a gun they're going to pick the the one that's five times more to help them a lot more than they help you it's um it's basically discrimination based on income you know I, I'm sure my wife and I could afford uh, a little bit more house, but we don't need more of a house. We have a four-bedroom house as it is, but just because we live in New Mexico and someone's in California, the decision's made to help the person in California, and I just think it sucks. I really do, and I, and I wish Bank of America would disclose numbers. I'm sure they have some place where they can, where they've actually invested in mortgages in certain states. I guarantee you, you know, the ones that always are in last place in, like, education and poverty and all that, Mississippi, New Mexico, Alabama, those ones, I guarantee you they're, they're on the top of the list of, you know, states that are screwed by Bank of America home loans just based on property valuation. So I, I can tell you they're number one on the Mount Rushmore for me, and I'm glad that I'm talking to you in my home office here doing a podcast because every time I'm in this house, I have to think about how crappy Bank of America home loans were you know, to me at the same time I was working for them, at the same time I was getting them business that they were also screwing over. It's the worst. The second department is the auto loans department, mainly because a lot of them are untrained and educated about doing loans. So whenever you talk to their customer service, it seems like they're so oblivious to helping you that it's ridiculous. Even we would call on behalf of our customers, and I'd be blown away by how inept they are. They're just the worst in the fact that they never take notes, it seems like. So whenever you have an issue with a client, it always seems like it would be an issue the next time you call because you'd have to re-explain yourself. And to me, that's just a non-negotiable period. The third department is the risk department because the risk department in the last few years has just decided to proactively close out accounts. They'll say something along the lines of, we've made a business decision to end our relationship. And they'll use risk as a threat and as a way of closing your account out by saying, well, we don't want to do business with you. A lot of the times it's because you don't have enough money or you're too much trouble than what you're worth. And I really think it sucks. I really think that someone needs to investigate that. And part of the reason this podcast exists is because Bank of America's risk department is doing some very shady things with um, our Iranian student clients, our Saudi student clients, 
uh, Mexican students, Mexican nationals, just anyone who is from another country for that matter, and then not to mention people who are trying to rehabilitate their life. Even people who have filed bankruptcy have had trouble opening an account at Bank of America saying because of past instances that we are not allowed to open up an account for you. Like, what the hell? I got my bankruptcy charged off. I'm ready to go or to have a second chance, and you're not giving it to me? So the risk department is just by by far just disgusting to people that they don't want to do business with. And the fourth part is just general customer service, the 1-800-432-1000 phone number. Um, because a lot of times whenever you get routed, and I'm actually talking with someone you know, in the middle of recording this podcast too, you're not talking to someone in an actual Bank of America situation. They're, they don't have a bank ID. They work for a third-party call center that also does direct TV and Dish Network and Sprint and all that. So they're not really well-versed and trained in Bank of America rules and policies. And they get combative and con- you know confrontational with you over the phone. And what happens is those confrontations that lead you know over the phone lead to a termination of a bank relationship. And Bank of America, they probably don't want that person anyway that they're treating bad over the phone. But if it was someone who was a preferred client or someone who was important to Bank of America, and those untrained confrontational you know associates from a third party are just being straight up rude then guess what? You're losing a lot of business based on the fact that you're cutting costs. And maybe Bank of America doesn't see it that way, but I do. I see how people get treated. And it's ridiculous. And a lot of the times, whenever I talk to people on Twitter, it's because they're at the end of their rope. They're saying, you know what? I went to the branch and they didn't help. I called the 1-800 and they didn't help. I, I bitched about it, pardon my language, on Twitter. And they responded to me and they seemed helpful. But then whenever someone called me back, it was the exact same thing that I did over the phone. It's ridiculous and it sucks. It's just something that's really disgusting because they string you along and they kind of just tease you like, hey, we're going to help. We can't do this, unfortunately. I'm sorry about your situation. Unfortunately, we can't do that. And it just becomes this mind game where you just get so mad. And I ran into those people in the branch and they're like, screw you guys. You guys over the phone are the worst. And I'm trying to you know, make the best out of bad situations say, hey. You know, we're not all like that, believe me. I, I understand what's going on over the phone. And I would deal with a person who was just, I couldn't help because they were just so far gone and so pissed off at, at Bank of America over the phone that they couldn't be helped. And I'm like, you know what? Bank, you know, brand service can be different flavors. It's Coke and Diet Coke. And then, you know, basically over the phone, it's Diet Coke and then Diet Coke with no sugar. I mean, it's going to have different tastes for different people. And it shouldn't be that way. But and I was just telling personally, I was like, you know what? I trust in person. I was like, if all else fails, and yeah, I know sometimes it's a little bit of a wait, but you could tell a lot by the company that you're banking with when you look into the eyes of the banker and you see how hard they're working. Now, there were times where I did a really crappy job for customers, and it wasn't my fault. It was just I was given a bad hand to to play with. And I would tell them genuinely, it's like, I'm sorry, they're not letting me do this, or I'm unable to do this, and this is why. And I would just tell them straight up what was going on. And they would see in my eyes how frustrated I was, and I think it would be better for that, and I think they would understand that, hey, don't yell at everyone, because at least this guy's trying to help. And over the phone, it's not like that. Everything sounds rude over the phone with Bank of America, so I'd say just don't call them, you know. Complain on social media, and then if you don't get what you want, hey, come find us at BankScootUs, WhyYourBankSucks.com, and, and, you know, follow the podcast. Because at the end of the day, I may not be able to get everything done for everyone here, but I have rescued $44,000. I have helped people learn a little bit about banking with this podcast project. 
And I'm really, really glad that I'm putting that effort in because I want people to say, hey, you know, there's some people that just do care in this world. And there's some people that don't. And, and the fact that James tells me all these things about banking and tells me all the things why things are going on, and not to mention he helps me whenever my bank doesn't, well, then I just found out why my bank and why your bank sucks. My name is James Baca. After this quick break, we'll be back to wrap it up, so please stick around. All right, we are back. Thank you so much to our main sponsor, Casasa, for all they've done. It's been two months of amazingness, and I hope to continue that awesomeness with Casasa. Go to kasasa.com or at Casasa on Twitter. Learn about free checking with rewards, guys. They're, they're doing some really good things, and I'm really grateful that they've supported me You know, for as long as they have. Um, Bank of America nearly made me homeless, and I work there and bear money coming very soon. I got a couple of projects. One of them is Zelle-related. Um, in the works, and hopefully I'll have those released soon. Patreon.com slash sucks. I have a $2 donation from an old co-worker of mine, my friend Devana. Thank you so much for um, your support. It means a lot. We only had a short time of working together, probably about six or seven months or so. But i got to tell you, she's the hardest working person that I've ever met. Um, all the jobs that I've known her to have, she jumps full force into them, and I'm really appreciative that she sees how hard I'm working on this project. So thank you for that. Um, for as little as $1 a month, you can donate to Patreon and support this podcast. Keep the lights on. Keep this podcast going as much as, as I possibly can, which is 18 hours a day now. $2 gets you extra podcasts. $5 gets you a mini gift. $15 gets you the gift plus um, PDF uh, versions of my books that I'm having coming out. Plus, you know, financial advice whenever you need it. $35 a month gets you a t-shirt every three months, the small gift, and books in paperback form. I really want to give back to you for you guys for supporting me through all this stuff, and I'm really thankful and grateful for that. Tell your friends. $1 a month can make a lot of magic happen for a lot of people, so please donate. Subscribe to our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, among other places where you consume your podcast, or you can listen to past episodes of WireBankSucks.com. Um, and you can also learn about our philanthrop- philanthropic um, things that we got going on as well with uh, the podcast and the project. We've rescued over $44,000 in the last two months with our hard work and vigilante customer service. So believe me, folks, you're um, you're on the right path by listening to this podcast. It's, it's good work that um, I'm trying to do, and it's honest work, and I'm really thankful that I'm able to help some people. Um, at Bank Screwed Us is our official Twitter handle, Vigilante Customer Service, and our running commentary about banks with bank news. And then we got at James B is Right, which is my personal Twitter, mostly just Vegas takes, sports takes, and gym pictures. But hey, at least you get to see the man behind the madness. It's an amazing ride, my friends, and I thank you so much for listening. Um, I have my nieces this weekend, so I'm not going to record a podcast until more than likely July 1st or 2nd, so enjoy this one, have a good weekend, and I'm going to get you one more podcast before the 4th of July holiday. So, you know, spend that time with your loved ones. Don't stress out over banks, because that's all they do is stress you out. Try to smile, and you know what, I'm going to be there to help you whenever I possibly can um, to help combat big banks and their BS. My name is James Baca, and I just told you why your bank sucks. So we'll talk to you very soon. Thank you so much, and you have a great day.